I'm here. All right, it says it's recording now. Oh, we're live now. Yeah. Fantastic, Robert. <laughs> heavy, metal bo- heavy metal podcast down the rabbit hole. Uh, this is a professional operation. Professional <laughs> <laughs> people. Uh, point of this, the point of this conversation is to grow the game of baseball, really. We want to grow the game of baseball. We want to talk with interesting people. That in mind, we have invited today Dustin Peace uh, to be on the podcast. Again, Dustin, how are you doing today? Doing well. Good to talk with you guys today. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, let's get to talking some baseball. Fantastic. Uh, everybody else, give us your bio, give us a one-on-one, and kind of bring, take us from your life in baseball, your past in baseball, into your current in baseball, and we'll start there. Yeah, so i uh Baltimore native, grew up a uh, big Cowherkin fan, wanted to be a shortstop even though I was left-handed, and uh, that wasn't going to happen. Um and I was uh, transferred into Archbishop Spalding High School, which is a private school here in Maryland, um, out of a public school, and uh, in hopes to get a scholarship um, to a, a college program. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to Mount St. Mary's University, which is a small Division One program that was in the Northeast Conference, still is. Um, from there, played four years at Mount St. Mary's, went undrafted, and then went immediately on to go play an independent ball for four years. Um, after the first year of indie ball, I got picked up by Kansas City. I was there for spring training. And then three years more of indie ball, I got picked up by San Diego and uh, finished my last full season in the Texas League um, out there. I think it was 2013, 2012. Um, and then I had a couple weird starts <laughs> in indie ball after that. Um, so, yeah, finished with indie ball probably 2015. And during that time, I was I kind of went back to go be a pitching coach at my at my at my college, Mount St. Mary's University. I was there for about two plus years uh, working with the staff. And uh, probably since the time I graduated college, which was 07 till now, I started, you know, working with pitchers, you know, just private instruction lessons, things like that. Um, But it didn't really become like full, full, full until I kind of stopped coaching at Mount St. Mary's. And that was in, that was in 2015. So um, been working on just our local business here, PBP, which is Peace Baseball Professionals. Um, been doing that since 2015, so about six years now. Uh, Location Nation started kind of right when I was done coaching, too. That's kind of this online brand I'm working through Twitter um, just to reach out to more uh, more pitchers and just kind of get my philosophies and message out um, on the pitching side. And um, that's kind of where I am. Yeah, and you're kind of uh... – known for being a little bit different like that kind of the, the big trend right now has been like building velocity in pitchers and um i'll let you kind of explain more like are you anti-velocity building or do you think like by doing that there's a there's an accuracy and intent trade-off or what like what's your current take on it yeah i think that's the biggest uh thing when people see me that, that I think I tried to structure my, my bio on the, on Twitter to kind of like include velocity, like from day one, the day that I started the account, I tried to put like the way I, I saw velocity and, and its impact on pitching. And I, and I feel like it's incredibly important. I feel like it's something that every pitcher should like aspire to get more of for sure. I mean, I, I spent my whole life trying to get more velocity. I think it's vitally important. Um, that probably gets very, uh, misconstrued through a lot of things I tweet and a lot of things I kind of put out there. Um, but I think it's extremely important, but I think it's 
it's only as important as a pitcher's skill and what they can do with the ball. Um, and I think, you know, the way that I try to structure what, I, what I'm putting out there is like, well, how are you building what you have in your present moments? And like, how do you, how, how did you get to that point um, with the velocity that you have and maybe the velocity where you want to go? Um, and it's, it, it's the more I've done, the more time I've spent on this, the more I'm realizing it, it doesn't seem as simple <laughs> as it does in my head um, to the way I'm trying to explain it. So um, I think velocity is important. I think location, I think it's completely dependent on, on someone's look, ability to locate the ball well. Um, but in a weird way, I think on Twitter, I think I'm sometimes like a, a guilty pleasure for some people. They, they kind of know what I'm doing is important. They kind of, they get that. And, but the trend is so opposite of what I'm, what I'm putting out there. Um, I think a lot of people are just intrigued maybe with what I'm putting out there, but they're like, ah, I can't talk about that too much. Like make sure we're talking about like a lot of these stuff first, but anyway, so yeah, <laughs> it's kind of, that seems to be, and that's, that's the, the hyper, the world of social media, you have to be one or the other, right? It's just not a, you have to swing that pendulum to where, you know, Robert and I, that we're, you know, we're the, we're throw gas, hit, you know, it's, you know, throw, throw smoke, hit bombs guys. Right. Uh, and so that world suggests and we don't care about location and vice versa. But, you know, I've seen, you know, people interact with you and the, and the, the people that are velocity, velocity gurus, they kind of line up in the camp, uh, almost accusing you of the, of the way that you don't care about velocity. And clearly what you said here, you know, it's important. It's just, and, you know, I think we all teach what we know best. And, you know, looking at your, listening to your conversations, you understand command uh, better than you understand velocity because that's what got you uh, into, into pro ball, into indie ball, into college, correct? Correct. I mean, I would say um, that was kind of like the thing that I kind of wanted to acquire first based on what I was being mentored with as a young player. You know, I was around a coach who was a bullpen catcher for the Orioles. He also threw batting practice for the Orioles. So he was around apex level athletes and, and he was around what those guys were trying to do better and be the best at, which was locating because that's why they're there. That's why big leaguers are big leaguers because they can locate. They're also there because they can throw hard. But I think what gets, what gets left out of that conversation is, well, they're also there because they can locate. So for me, I felt like the way it was communicated with me as a young player you know, you could be extremely successful as a pitcher by consistently locating and commanding the ball in a variety of ways, um, different pitches, changing speeds, and being undersized and being like the underdog type of player. Like I wanted to be like, I wanted to be like a dude. Like I wanted to be like the guy on my staff that was like the best pitcher. And I knew I wasn't going to throw the hardest, so but I wanted to make sure like I was performing just as well as the guys that were. And obviously those guys had – higher margin of error. And then as I continue to throw just slightly harder or catch up to them, like the low eighties, mid eighties, you know, upper eighties, you know, it kind of, it was starting to kind of equal out a little bit on my end too. Um, but I was just looking for that edge and I was looking for what else can, what else can I do to make myself that much better um, or at least match the playing field. Um, so yeah, I think on the below side, like, I mean, I long tossed, I threw, I pitched, I was throwing, thousands of pitches. You know, I think that's kind of what helped me build the velocity I was able to even acquire then still as a young undersized player. Do you think that, uh, I mean, there's multiple ways to be successful on the mound. Uh, do you think that 
possibly Velo was kind of sought after because it it's it has like the highest correlation in game success. Because I like I've seen it both ways. Like I've I've met plenty of guys that throw ninety seven but can't throw a strike or have terrible breaking stuff and so they're unsigned. But I've also met guys that can locate four different pitches that are all really good, but they throw eighty poo and they can't get signed. So it's it's like there's trade offs to those sorts of things. I think the the way that I usually respond to that type of like idea on social media is, well, then we're talking about a different level of success, in my opinion. You know, I'm not talking about somebody who's take the same two players, put them in the game. That player is going to win. This player is going to lose. They might not be able to play in the same game because this person couldn't get signed to play in high A or wherever they get sent. This person can. So he'll, he'll get to go there and he won't be able to perform well. This person may have been able to perform well. But he may not have ever reached that velo ceiling that the other guy has. I mean, I get that. That's just the way the world works in baseball. But I think from a perspective of, like, what is success, well, yeah, that guy's going to get more opportunity, I guess, because the correlation may be higher if he can throw strikes. And I think that's just the big if. Will he? Would the, will the other guy throw harder? I don't know. Which, one, which one's easier to teach, velo or command? I know. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think command is hard to teach anybody who is maxing out their intensity. So if that person, if, if a person's throwing 70, 80, 90, 90, whatever that number is, and they're maxing their intensity, I would say it's going to be hard to teach someone command at that intensity. Um, is it hard to teach velocity? I would say, I mean, I've seen guys work their whole life to, to work towards the velocity and they don't, they don't build velocity. I mean, I feel like this is just my opinion. I feel like command is something that's more attainable. Somebody could throw a strike. Like somebody can stand at 60 feet, six inches and throw, and like they're capable of that action. They can live out that experience in the, in the present moment. Not anyone can just jump on the mound and throw 97 in that present moment. They don't know if they ever will. You know, most people can throw a strike in that present moment. I'm not sure if that vibes with like my thought process vibes with you guys in that sense, but like I feel like that's attainable. So if you can attain that in your present moment, why not try to refine that as much as you can? My my question would be on, and, and you can speak this because you lived it. My question would be on the stress that that causes the pitcher. Does that make sense? If I can sling it up there 98 miles an hour then I know I can probably get guys to chase suboptimal locations, right? And, and, or, you know, like I've told people, what, what makes Tyler Matzik's slider so effective is that fastball at 99, right? Because you don't have time to even – you have to take a wild guess by seeing fastball or slider. So my question would be to a guy who doesn't throw – who played high-level baseball without that velocity, what kind of, like, physical mental sort of stress is that place on you to know that you have to be – accurate on almost every given pitch you have because you don't have the luxury of messing up and going man if i miss a location at 97 i'm still okay right if you yeah. miss a location at 88 you're not you're not as close you're not as close to being okay so what, what's that for, from a pitching standpoint what's that going to do to guys or does it do to guys or where did you live yeah i mean i, I love i love that that thought process like I, I get that like that that's something i think a lot of guys ask me about general anyway like 
I mean, what is that number? Is it, is it going to be 97? Is that the number that we're going to like roll with to get it by, or hopefully like that variable's there to get a swing and miss or a chase? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, you can see guys that you know throw 94 and they can throw it past guys, and some guys that they throw 94 and they can't throw it past guys, right? There's all these things that come into play with how a, a pitch is spinning, how it's moving, how it's how it's playing on that day. So, you know, 97 appears to be what everybody's running out of their bullpen now. You know, so that's why that number keeps popping up. Somebody has determined 97 and above is difficult to, to deal with. Yeah. Well, I, uh, good. You, know, you have, I think part of the difference too is like you just have less time to update your prediction as the ball's coming in. Like there's a huge difference between 88 and 94. Uh, you just have less time to be right. Yeah. I mean, with that particular example, you know, let's say I throw it was throwing 88 and I threw it up and in. That timing is about 94. You better swing at it like it's 94. You're not going to hit it. And if I throw that on opposite pitch low and away, this is effective velocity. I'm sure you guys, I'm not sure what you think of that, but, um, you know, those, those reactions change. And that's just something that I've, I pitched that way my whole life. And until Perry husband kind of like started to define some of those numbers, um, it kind of started to make more sense when I look back as to why guys were late on 86 on the inside corner and they were early, you know, low and away. Um, but to go back to your first question about the, and I can go back down that rabbit hole too. <laughs> if you want. That's, that's what we're doing. Like, we can, we can venture down any, any, any way you want to go. You, you chase yeah. it wherever you go. Cause trust me, you'll, you'll get it. <laughs> any which way you go with it. So I think, I think, the 97, it resonates so well with me because almost every arm that was in the bullpen with me in high A and double A threw at least 95. So I was the only pitcher <laughs> that threw slower than that, and it was significantly slower than, than that. You know, I'm 10 miles an hour slower than that um, in high A and double A. Pretty much most of the indie ball leagues, too. Uh, I mean, I was easily the slowest thrower on – Every team I was on. I was, and I was throwing 84 to 86, topping out 87, 89 by the end of my career. Not very fast, right? So my thing was, well, if I can top out at 89, like I know I can get to 89, that's still slow. It's not fast. It's it's still not that fast. So it's like, why am I trying to throw that speed when I when I can feel a little bit more comfortable locating at 80, 86, 87, 85, 86? You know, obviously, I would love to be sitting 89, top of 92. Everybody would love to throw, like, to have that higher sitting below. Like, that would just be, it's comfortable there. Um, would I love to have, like, a 97 mile an hour? Yeah, just puck it down the middle and hopefully swing and miss. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I feel like if, if I'm just humming the ball in there at 97 and I have a more variable idea of where it's going to go rather than a, a stronger idea of, like, that it's going to end up the destination I want, then I feel like I might not be pitching as well as I could be. Are we still pitching? Sure, but I feel like you're not really pitching. There are guys that there are guys that are pitching in the mid to upper 90s, by the way. You know, so I feel like yes, yes, we want more velocity, we want swings and misses, we want to make the hitter suck. Like, yeah, they don't want to hit that speed. I get all that. Um, but for what for what it's worth, I feel like there's a lot of that. Um, at most levels under Major League Baseball, that doesn't get seen very much. So you're you're kind of talking to between throwing and pitching. 
Yeah. The old fighter versus the boxer argument. Right? Yeah. You know, like you said, there are guys that I, I would I would submit to you that Jacob DeGrom is pitching. Right. And but he's doing so at 101 miles an hour. Yeah, very yeah. Fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that that's a you're and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's what I'm hearing. Is you're more interested in teaching guys how to be pitchers. You're you're not against throwers. You just think that in the world of uh, baseball, we've gone too far to training throwers, and we spent less of our time training pitchers. I think that's more or less what I'm saying. Okay, I mean, I, I and, you know, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you. I would say that, you know, on our end, we don't, you know, we're slowly but surely turning into hitting guys only. Uh, you know, I tell people about defense. I know just enough about defense to get you, to get in trouble. Um, you know, and because I was a coach, I had to dabble in pitching and, and I've been drive on certified and stuff like that. But the more we do this, the more we're just like, Hey, we just want to focus on hitting um, because that's where we're comfortable at. But uh, you know, on that side of things, what we know about pitching um, and same thing with hitting is where we come from is not a, is most kids don't know how to move fast. Right. Uh, the game of baseball in, in, in where in our area of Texas is almost, regulate itself to an idea that accuracy is in, even in swings is the most important thing. And so what we're trying to do is, is break free some kids that just don't know how to be an athlete. Does that make sense? And I don't know if everybody's coming from that standpoint, that's really where we're at is guys aren't throwing hard because they've never thrown hard. Right. It was Britt Strom. He didn't tell me directly. I happened to be in the room. He said, you know, the secret to throwing hard is it's throw hard. Right. It was, and you said the same thing is, you threw more, you got stronger. I mean, it's, uh, what are, are we, are we getting that backwards? Because to, to us, we're trying to make the athlete come out first and worry about command later. Are you <laughs> build command. Okay. Yeah. You tell me, cause that's where we're at. I mean, I don't think anybody here would tell you or shouldn't tell you that command does not matter. I think, yeah. I think the way that my philosophy is just different is that, you know, we, because we do have guys that have built velocity up and up into the low low ninety range as high school pitchers. You know, we have guys that have done that um, through a variety of ways, or two two main ways really. One, long toss, and two, volume pens at low intensity. So high volume amount of pitches at lower intensity. Um, me, very similar. Tens of thousands of pitches and long toss. I think both of those. Both of those items allow you to throw to a target over and over and over again, which can help you optimize that task that you're trying to do. So you can constrain more intensity with a target with long toss. Still, that's probably the best representation we can get with the target, with being outside and having you hit a target. And then two, um, pitching on the mound over and over and over again, you know, your RPE might be lower and then as you fatigue, it might actually be higher. So the way that I kind of view it is through myelination, you know, just your brain kind of like increasing that circuit strength with repetition, you know, so the more you repeat, even if it's a lower, lower intensity levels, those circuits build quicker, they kind of map better. And yeah, of course you always know you could swing your hardest. Should you swing your hardest every time? I mean, you could, but I feel like you might not be as accurate. Most people would say that I have 10 year olds that tell me that. I'm sure you probably have them say, tell you the same thing on the hitting side. Hey, Johnny, why can't you throw it as hard when you – or why can't you be as accurate when you throw it as hard? Well, I can't feel what I'm doing. 
it's just a, it's just a logical gut instinct that we have as people. You can't feel as much when you try as hard. So I think a good a good way that's kind of helped us is that through ample repetition at slightly lower intensity, we kind of get build more confidence in that higher end, and that's kind of the type of responses we've been getting from pitchers over time. You know, the, the more they repeat, the more they they can feel as they kind of reach that red line. And that's what we want. We want to be able to throw as hard as we want and have that confidence. I think it goes back to your question, Rob. Like, I think, you know, how do you how do you have that confidence in, in, in locating or, or commanding? Um, and that's just kind of some of the stuff that we've seen and heard for the past few years. I, I um, So I was a pitcher in high school, and I was supposed to be one in college. And I one thing that I felt like I always had a lot of was, was command. I had four pitches that I felt like, I could put inside a teacup and um, I didn't have private instruction or anything, but I remember what I did have. Cause even now, like I, I'll get in the cages and throw the kids and feel like I can throw anything anywhere at any time. But when I was a kid, I had a bucket full of golf balls, baseball, softball, bouncy balls, like any round object I could find, I would put in this bucket. And I had these milk crates all over the yard and I would just go into the backyard and, probably because I didn't have very many friends. <laughs> you just go into the backyard and I would just throw all these balls into these milk crates from different distances and different angles. And I just, I don't know if that's what it was, but in everyone I've ever met or talked to, like that seems to always be the one thing that I did different than everyone else was this, I using all these different balls from different angles. And so when I was a high school coach and a pitching coach, um, that's what we would do is I would make these kids throw bullpens. We would throw from 45 feet and then we would, we would move the plate like 45 degrees to the left or right. And then we would throw from 60 feet and then we would have them throw the pitches from 75 feet. And we would, I would have them throw a tennis ball, baseball and softball. And like, I, I feel like, and with different people that I've talked to pitching command kind of seems to be like the next frontier, like, kind of seems like several entities have figured out how to build pitching velocity, uh, either using, using a combination of the weight room or, or like weighted implements. Um, but everyone that I've talked to, like that's kind of the next frontier is, is command. Um, do you have, I mean, we have some ideas and we'll share, but do you have like any insight as to like, how do you think that that frontier is going to evolve of how to, how to teach command? I mean, I think you kind of hit on some of those things. I mean, the one sound, the one thing I heard there it sounded like you're having a lot of fun <laughs> throwing different weighted objects, and like I'm assuming you're trying to hit a target. Yeah, I have, I have these milk crates, like yeah, milk, crate, crate, yeah. milk crates, just all over the yard at different angles and different distances. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the first thing I hear is well, one, you went out to have fun. Two, you had a very distinct purpose, which your your purpose probably wasn't to switch the balls up, but your purpose probably was to hit the target. I'm assuming. Yeah, I, I, I played this weird game where I would just turn around and stop and whatever milk crate I was looking at, that's the one I had to throw into and I was trying to strike somebody out before I walked in. Yeah, I think that's the second big thing. Like you went out there to try to, with a purpose, to, to throw it to something, which I think is important. Um, I think for what it's worth, like the better someone gets at that, the, the easier it might make pitching. <laughs> you know, because you're, you're – you're, Target is a little bit more static, you know, if you don't have it all over the yard, but more in like a general location. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, 
I played wiffle ball growing up. I played, I played tennis ball, baseball. I mean, we had some crazy games growing up in the neighborhood. You know, it's, it's all part of like just being a kid and having fun. And I mean, I wouldn't attribute my process to that that fact of it. I do know that my body felt different when you throw different objects, object weights, but the purpose never changes. You know, if your purpose is always the same, then you're gonna have to your brain's gonna have to calibrate what you're doing. Um, it's gonna have to figure out a way to make that purpose happen. Um, in my opinion, it's best to do it if you're trying to be proficiently good at something in a baseball game, specifically in a baseball game, the best way to constrain that would be to use the competitive weight, the competitive object weight. Um, that's just again, just a logical inference that I would get from training. And that's what and that's what I did. Um you know, tens of thousands of pitches using a baseball. Um, and uh, I think for me, that was that was useful. Um, we, I would move the target around, target in, target out, target up, target down, you know, and just try to just bludgeonly hit that target over and over again. Just simple, logical concept, I felt like. And that's what helped me get so good at it. Um, I think that is kind of like I've taken how I work with pitchers, like, to the next step, I'd say. It's just – it's less um, – a little bit less boring, but still <laughs> similarly boring where you're just doing the same thing. I think the big thing is trying to, well, how do you get this to transfer to the game? And I feel like that's where a lot of guys struggle because that comfortability with just like the repetition of, of the action that you, or the behavior that you want changes with pressure. As we know, you guys know as hitters, like get more pressure under you, things change. Um, so I feel like I've kind of like revamped my own training modality when I grew up for these kids now to where I'm trying to bring, I'm trying to get them to do these same types of, of phases or blocked practice, bringing a batter in, changing accounts, putting them behind on the count and still putting them in a pressure situation where we're, we're counting, putting them at like a 70% clip they have to execute at. And if they don't, they fail. Um, and I think that's kind of like a, what you see in the velocity training, hit this number or you fail, you know? So it's like, and just kind of change the goalpost a little bit. Like, listen, you need to execute this at 70% or you fail. And then you can just try again. And I think that's just kind of like, that's where we are. That's kind of some of the things that we're doing. Um, the guys love the competitive aspect of it. They don't want to fail. They want to pass. They want to, they want to get to the next level. They want to know what that level is. That I'm going to give them. Um, and it's, it's fun to watch. And uh, they do, they, they've given me some feedback with how they can, they feel it in the game. They can kind of feel how that, transitions happening when they're out there in the game and facing guys and that execution that they're getting. So um, is this, is this the exact way? This is just the best way. This is the, the next best way. I probably would have did it as a high schooler. You know, it's just, if I had somebody help me with it and, and set up the practice design this way, I would have loved that, you know? So that's just kind of where I am. <laughs> on that. Well, and that's really all there is in English here is because uh, I was at a clinic once and, I think it was university, former University of Tennessee head coach. At this time, I think he was the coach for the Finnish national team going into a World Cup. And he said, you know, if you catch me five years from now and I haven't adapted anything I've done, he goes, I failed miserably. Right. You know, um, a lot. Of, I think a lot of what happens in this game, unfortunately, is it's so stuck in its own past that a lot of people are out there saying, no, we're, we're this is how it's always been done. This is where we're going to do it. And you know, the world's changing. The kids are a little bit different, right? Uh, I was a yes or no sir kid, you know, and you didn't question your coaches, which I got in a lot of trouble because I asked a lot of questions. <laughs> so uh, did I. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, yeah. me. <laughs> you were still say, you know, yes, sir, take this bat, do this, and that, and go swing on this tee 30 times, and you'll be better. Yes, sir, I'll be better. Right? Then I got a little bit older. I said, but why will I be better? And then it was, hey, go see that pole? Yeah, go run and touch that pole. So, you know, <laughs> come back. You never end. You know, so, hey, of course, it has to adapt. Right. And we can only take what we have that we experienced and say, hey, here's the things that, that, that went well for me and I want to recreate. Here's the things that did not go well for me or have no benefit to me. And I'm going to largely trash those things. Uh, it's, it can be tough. It really can because we all can get nostalgic about uh, our youth or or, 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 or or people who taught us, who meant a great deal to us. That, uh, and me and Robert talked about this. It's, I think it's a hard concept sometimes for a lot of guys. When you look back at someone you admired or someone that taught you something that modern day has shown not to be true, that doesn't mean that person was, was a moron. It doesn't mean that person was stupid. It means that person gave you the best available information they had at the time. And that, that has to adapt and move forward. And, you know, that's the great discovery, the great conversations we're having around baseball now, right? Is because I think Robert's right. Last, the last frontier in pitching is not velo. So a lot of people figured out the last frontier in uh, pitching is command. Because uh, I see orgs and we, we keep orgs out of this. I saw an org post a guy that was left-handed 105 looking for a home. Like, why is left-handed 105 looking for a home? Right? Because he can't put it anywhere. Right? He's, uh, he, might as well, he might throw it over the backstop. You know, so that's still that, that great, great command. And that's, you know, kind of our question. Why do you think it is so difficult to teach? I know you touched on this briefly. Why do you think it's so difficult to teach command? I think, well, first of all, like, for what it's worth, like there, there's a lot of stuff posted <laughs> these days with these guys, and you just, I just sit and shake my head. I don't even tweet on it anymore. I don't want to. Like, I don't want to. Like, there's no reason to. Like, obviously, he has trouble with control. Like, that's an obvious thing. Like, yeah. And that's and that's why I started what I'm doing because when I then this is the answer to your question too. When I was coaching at the Mount, you know, we had, you know, we're a small mid. It was, I would probably say the last place Division One school, you know, when I went back to coach there. Um, standings weren't great. Their RPI was not great. Um, but they still had, you know, four right-handed pitchers, 89, 92, you know, and they were awful. I mean, they, they could not get anyone out. And, like, that's not that slow from that school. Like, that could have been extremely successful. They could have been really, really good. Um, we set up some systems. A few of the guys really improved. A few of the guys couldn't. And I think to lead back into the answer, I think intensity and the sociocultural aspect of baseball and the draft and moving and advancing, um, it just has a, it imprints how we see what we need to do in the game, which is try, try, try intensity, 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 and throw, throw, throw. And that really limits our bandwidth, like the way that we can process information, I think. And if you don't already possess some level of skill or like that fundamental principle that you can do, <clears throat> it's going to be extremely hard for you to just do it at that intensity. Um, somebody that throws 105, I mean, obviously there's a ton of intensity there, in, incredible amounts of intensity. Um, I mean, I would, I would say this, let's try to pitch at that speed, but learn how to do it to get back to that speed. And again, that's just kind of where I am with how command is learned. You're going to have to learn it at a lesser intensity. Um, like you would learn any skill in life. And and you might, you guys might correct me if I'm wrong or 
at least give me some examples if you think it's not the case, but I can't really think of, um, of any skill in life that you would learn at max intensity. I just can't, th I can't think of anything that would require that type of motor control at max intensity um, to learn how to do the movement correctly in order to go as fast as you can. Um, and, I, and I struggle with that. And I think that's why we see guys that throw hard that have trouble commanding kind of get stuck in that bucket. They get, they get kind of deemed like, like a, like a leper. <laughs> like he's, he's broken. <laughs> it's not good. He doesn't work. Um, and I, and I hate that. Like, I hate that so much for them because like, that's so friggin' cool. They throw that hard. It's like incredibly hard to get that. Um, and ultimately I just want to see anybody be as successful as they can with what they have, which is whatever velocity they own, you know? And that's, I think that's the hard thing is just helping guys learn how to hone that craft. So uh, would it be an example of a blending of the two where you say, listen, you guys go out and find out how to hit 97 and then we'll, we'll ship you off to Dustin, so to speak. And when you go to Dustin, you're going to be throwing 92 until you can pitch at 92 and they'll get you at 94, 95. Is, is that kind of what I'm hearing is where you go, listen, 105 is great. But if you're 105 and left-handed, we send this guy to you. We don't know this kid. Let's just 105 left-hander can't find it. All right, there's a guy in Maryland that understands control. You go to him, right? Day one, you go listen. 105 is great. Or are you asking that guy to throw a 95, 92? You know, kind of help me through that. You know, you've got that guy that can't do that. How are you going to bring him hypothetically on the dialing back to where he can pitch at 100 and above? Right. So I think that's the, that would be the goal because like 92 is still relatively fast. Like there's still, there's still significant intensity to throw 92. So like, you're still using like a pretty high RPE to throw that. So the kind of phrase I use with our guys is like, we want familiar intensity. Like we want a familiar type of intensity that feels very similar to our, our max end or red line. Um, and, and like a working pace. Like we want to kind of feel like we can, we can get through a lot of volume at a pretty familiar intensity that's just below um, so that we can really find and at least feel a little better than we can at max redline. I think the big thing is just helping guys understand, like, listen, you've achieved 97. The same way I brought it up in the beginning, like, you can throw a strike. Most people can get on the mound and throw a strike in the present moment. You can throw 97. Like, that's achievable. We already know you can do that. We want to command that but you won't be able to command that or control that unless you can do it at 90, 88, you know, let's, and, and work your way back to that velo. Um, not that that velo isn't achievable. Like in his mind, he'll know he can always throw it that hard. If that makes sense. Like I knew I could always max out 89, <laughs> but like, again, that still wasn't that fast, but yeah, in essence, like to your point, that would be the goal. Yes. If you, if you're there and you, you don't have skill at that level, then yeah, we would need to back you down, rep it out significant reps put you through some phases, throw some pressure on you and see if we can't blend that red line effort back to some command. And that would be the, that would be the process so in, sim in simpler terms. <laughs> do, you have, uh, do you use any like tech or anything? Like do you use pulse leads or like anything to monitor that kind of stuff? So what was the, what was the one thing you just said other than that? Uh, like, a, like the pulse or the modus sleeves or do you use like rap soda or any, any sort of tech or anything? So we had, we used modus for a while. I got modus a few years ago. And I was like, I'm gonna throw this on all my guys. And I was like, oh shit, this guy only got to be on one pitcher. Because <laughs> I, I could, there was no way I was gonna be able to kind of like roll through all that. We do have one guy who's still using it, um, but and it, it works well. On the other, out. 
<laughs> um, we uh, no rap soda. We do have Trackman. So oh, we just recently, yeah, we just recently got Trackman last April, and we're just recently, lately, kind of starting to kind of implement it with how we're kind of tracking command. Um, if you followed me enough on Twitter, you'll you'll know my qualms with how tech tracks balls and strikes anyway with the, with the zone and how it works. Um, but we're going to try to like implement it to, I guess, a way that would be good to put out to people like, Hey, this is where a person was. This is where they are, at least based on track man's data. Um, and I think that'll be good stuff to look at to, to, to measure, I suppose. Now, I think I had a question from Robertson and you, you, you jump in. <laughs> this is otherwise highly professionally, highly professional podcast. Um, you know, I, I would say, and not to be argumentative, so you see, Robert, I kind of come at it from a different point of view. Um, and, well, I'll say me. I try not to speak for Robert. So a lot of things we do with our own hitters is we fail big, right, to shorten our learning curve. So we do, you know, I'll encourage guys. Now, the, now the hitting aspect is not as deterministic as pitching. I know they're two different kind of disciplines. Um, but we, I tell my guys, we're going to fail big in the next 10 pitches, and hopefully shorten our learning curve. Large failure, uh, we can shorten that learning curve a little bit. Um, from what I'm hearing from you, you don't think the same thing applies to pitching, is not failing big at max intent in order to shorten that and, and get there, or, or you, you, you went from a different aspect. Is that because you think that the, the aspect's more deterministic in pitching than it is hitting? What was the word you used? It was more what? Deterministic. Like, deterministic. So the hitter, the hitter is always being acted upon. Right. Right. The pitcher is doing the action, you know, he, but the hitter is forever being acted upon. And so our method, my methodology is getting, we'll fail big in this cage controlled setting at maximum intensity to help us find, you know, to, to help us shorten our learning curve. What you're yeah. saying here is on the pitching side, you don't necessarily want to fall in, fall, fall in line with that. Well, I no, I mean, I, I definitely would say that's that's one of the first things we'll start with. Like, hey, man, you're gonna fail, and you're gonna fail a lot. And I think if if they can't go in, and that's one of the big issues when guys come in to start working on command is like they start throwing balls, and the emotional response and the way that they're going about the practice is not that they're going into the design knowing they're gonna fail and try to um, process that problem solving. Because if you if you're going into it thinking you're just going to succeed right away, you're, you're going to fail miserably. Um, I would say, yeah, we we as pitchers want to be executing better than hitters. If we can execute at a 70% clip, as an example, and a pitcher and a hitter can execute at a 30% clip, which is really, really good, you know, that's kind of just the way the percentages, I would say, would be working in our favor, you know, um, as a pitcher compared to a hitter. But I would say – yeah, I think it's it's the emotion. It's the way we kind of put guys into that environment. You know, um, I kind of always put it, I kind of treat it like a puzzle. You know, you're trying to put together like a really intricate puzzle that you can do in your sleep. Like you can do it over and over again just because you practice it so much. But if you're going to go do a puzzle, you know, if you're going to put a puzzle piece down, if you doesn't match, are you going to like – flip the freaking table over and like throw your arms up and then, oh my gosh, it doesn't lose. And you're just going to take the puzzle piece back and try again somewhere else. Like that's the way that should work in that sense. And you're trying to just consistently solve the problem. Miss, make an adjustment. Miss, make an adjustment. Miss, make an adjustment. Hit it, feel it, try to do it over again. It's just boring work. And I think that's that 
type of boring work because it requires that much time and that much patience really limits who's really going to acquire it at a high level. I really do. And it takes mentoring. I feel like it takes coaching. It, it takes, it takes uh, discipline. It just takes a lot of intangible things that some people don't have just in their personality. And, and I think it's important to help guys find through that. But um, yeah, I think that kind of matches up well with on the hitting side, the way you're kind of going about it. Yeah, well, we we got a handful of guys at our facility. If the puzzle piece does not match, they're going to flip the table over, fire, <laughs> and we we call them our psychopaths. But uh, <laughs> we're also of the opinion that our better hitters are about three quarters psychopath anyway. <laughs> you know, Don't get me wrong. I feel like I feel like that emotion is so good. Like you want that. Like you want to have that and like competitiveness. Like that's all great. Like that's 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 good stuff. You're put into a certain environment where you're trying to learn something. Like, I feel like you need to allow yourself to learn and fail. And that failure is how you get better. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's where some guys just, they don't want to fail. And they, if they can't handle it in practice, they're probably not going to do it in the game if they can't do it in like a controlled environment. So, no, the modern day baseball player is conditioned to not accept failure. Uh, and it's, it's, I don't think, I do not think that's a Texas thing or a Maryland thing. I think that's almost become a distinctly American culture thing where uh, a failure is to be looked down upon, uh, and not in a, uh, and and not as a moment to learn. And I I think that's a cultural thing is it's kind of striking everybody here. I just have have the same thing as you, I see in the baseball player, you know, if a kid swings and misses four times in a row, you go. You know, we we'll we'll blow guys up and, and throw them and show them you know sliders at 97 miles an hour and they miss 10 and get mad. You go, you just saw the Grom slider. Yes, <laughs> 10 times in a row. Like everybody else who sees that slider, like why did you think you'd be different, right? Why did you think you know? And, and you know, it's a larger cultural thing at play. And I think you're 100 right. It's not understanding what failure, the value in failure. So, I think I think players like. In, in this day and age are playing so much to please others rather than compete against their, themselves. Like they're, they're not competing against themselves. When you see that emotion come out, I think they're just so upset. They didn't, they couldn't please the radar gun or they couldn't please the, the exit, below, whatever it is. Like they, they just, they're not matching their, they're, they're not competing against themselves to get better in that sense, which is like what you need to have happen. Your brain needs to learn how to do that better. Maybe it's, Maybe it's striking out against all those sliders, but you just you just take them, like you don't actually try to hit it. Just try to watch it and see it, so your perceptions get better. You know things like that. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's kind of like sorry tangent on the hitting side. But. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. uh, the last piece there, the one you got for us, and I'll add one more player. Can, you know, and I think it's a good question Robert came up with. Can Jamie Moore exist in today's MLB? Can Mark Burley? You know, Mark Burley at the end of the day was carving dudes up at 83 miles an hour. Um, those two guys, could they exist in today's MLB? Yeah, I mean, I think could they exist? I think they could exist. I think Brent Suter exists. He's throwing he's left-handed, he throw, tops out at 87. You know, he's the same type of guy. Burley was about 85. Moyer in his heyday was probably 85, 86. Is this gonna happen? Probably not, because guys that are left-handed these days that they're just they're trained to get that intensity, right? Like that's just where they're trying they're trying to continue to get that intensity. 
Suter, I forget where he went, Harvard, Stanford, I don't know. He's a smart guy. Like, he learned how to pitch. He learned about locations. And it doesn't surprise me that type of pedigree is where it is because he really knows how to use what he has and he has the skill. Um, you know, that's my one example. And for what it's worth, like, I had one example growing up. <laughs> and it was – and as you guys – I'm not sure if you guys know much about how I threw, but I was a lefty sidearm. And my – and I started to do that in eighth grade. And my, my role model was Mike Benefro. He was a left-handed sidearmer, played for a few different teams. And, you know, I was able to carry – like, that model for me, you know, I was able to carry that, that model all the way to double A. And, like, that was just, like, what I wanted to do. Like, and I feel like at the end of the day, if somebody wants to go that route, if they want to go down that rabbit hole and try to prove the game wrong, and, and the, they, they might be able to. Is it, is it the best way to go? Probably not. Like, it was the route that I went the best way. No, definitely not. Definitely one of the hardest ways to go. Like, not the easiest. But that's just that's just who I am. Like, I just – I hate being told what to do. I hate being told there's a certain way. There's an only way. Um, and uh, I think there's going to be few and far between the examples of Jamie Moore. And I think there will be pitchers that aren't throwing 90 from the left side that are really good that may emerge in the future just because they get more outs. Um, but that's left to be unsaid. I think they can get major league hitters out. The, the peak of human performance for approaching on the Vila is that, like you said, like 105. And like how much farther are we going to go? Right. So at the end of the day, like there's going to be a significant value placed on out getting, and whether, however that happens, like they're going to get fostered in the minor league system somehow. You'd like to think. So we'll see. <laughs> um. But hopefully, I can. Hopefully, you guys can tell I'm vibing with you, in in, in somewhat of a similar way. <laughs> I'm not saying every pitcher should be throwing slow. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't get that. You know, I think truth be told, because it just came to me. Think I was listening to we were talking to a pitching coach in college. Um, you know, I think our I think pitching coaches' goals have changed at these levels. Um, it was get outs. I think right now the game values, can you miss a bat? And as long as that is the, the most, not, you know, the, there's a specific out we're looking for and that's the one that misses the most bats. As long as that's preferred, I, you know, I think below is, is that, you know, that that's here to stay because ground ball outs and, and fly ball outs and stuff like that aren't the, aren't the target. It's just, can you miss a bat? So I think that's probably been the biggest fundamental change for the idea of pitching is, do you get outs? Yes, but what now it's drilled down more specifically. What kind of outs are you getting? And yeah, I, I think to, to to go right along with that, like because you know the swing and miss is like just the way the game is right now. I guess it's the way that we want to miss barrels. We want guys swinging and missing. From when I started my whole journey, and this is kind of still where I am. Like I didn't want to miss bats. I didn't want bats to swing. I didn't want them to swing because they couldn't determine if it was a ball or a strike. And that might seem like a really fine way to go about pitching. Um, but realistically, like disrupting perceptions by using like quality locations is, is extremely valuable. And the harder you throw that you can do that, you're probably not going to miss plenty of barrels because they're not going to get off their shoulder. Um, and I think that's that's another route that may the game may kind of go to. Like, well, can we get more? guys that can throw it in quality locations where the guys aren't even swinging or like they're going to make weaker contact because they're, they're not over the hearts of the plate. Um, that's just another route. That's just, again, a different perspective I'd say. Um, 
But yeah, obviously there's very small areas of miss over the plate. And if it's over the plate, you want to miss the barrel. So, I mean, I totally understand that part of it too. And the harder, the better in that sense. <laughs> you think, um, I mean, thinking about this with, with guys that throw a little bit slower, is it, is it better to go a route where you make guys more outlierish? Like we have a kid that we taught him to throw from a three foot release uh, height because he throws 78 to 79, but he has 24 inches of horizontal run on his two seam fastball and 21 inches of run on slider. And like Soder's kind of a, an outlier because if you, you look at like the spin direction on his fastball and some of his release angles, they don't match up with, you know, the, like the most common ones. So is it, would it be a safe route if, if you're a guy that doesn't throw very hard to figure out how to get yourself outside of like the normal, like the bell yeah. curve, get out of the middle of the bell curve. So that way guys aren't calibrated to your pitches as well. Yeah. I mean, I'd say just based on where the game is today, the way that they're going to view the metrics. I mean, if you're stuck in the average or below average and you're getting outs say as well as shooter at a lower level, then yeah, obviously I feel like you probably need to improve that some. Um, you probably become an even bigger outlier if you're getting people out with left, <laughs> um, or you weren't able to do that. Um, low, the, low slot guys are obviously going to be the outlier. Some of the outliers. Yeah, like, is that an, is that maybe that's more of a valid approach for guys that don't throw hard? Is is make yourself that outlierish to make, where make your release and your stuff like make make something unique. Yeah, something the hitter is not accustomed to seeing. Because we were talking yeah. earlier about internal models that I like. Our guy, we're pretty confident that he's that successful. One because he has so much run, but two, there's nobody in a Texas Panhandle that's thrown with a three foot release height, so he doesn't fit inside of anybody's internal model in this area. I mean, I would say that would be good. I mean, that's kind of like it falls into the same situation I was doing. I was trying to look different, throw a foot and a half across my body, different depth of breaks and spins. Yeah, you're going to put yourself in a different bucket compared to someone else. So um, that would probably be a good thing. In terms of like because you don't throw as hard, yeah, that would help you stand out more. Is that what you're saying? Like it help you stand out more, maybe improve more, get to the next level? Is that how we're the success? Yeah, like, is, that, is that like a better route for a guy to take? I mean, you, you, I mean – you gotta, you yeah. gotta figure out a way like to make yourself like have a skill that scales and you know there's probably a, several hundred guys that are sitting mid 80s at, at the college level so what's going to separate you from those guys i think the big thing for me is still like i don't think there's a exact answer to your question based on this particular example because every baseball player that's ever played may or may not want to play Major League Baseball. They may just want to be successful at the level they're at. They might just want to be a dominant high school, college, three, whatever it is. So it's like if their goals are a certain goal, sure, try to scale it as best you can to figure out those ways to do that. That's kind of what I did. You know, I was mentored, like I said, I was mentored by a Major League person who was like associated with that. So I, he's like, listen, let's change your arm slot, left-handed relief, uh, loogie type of guys might become popular in the future. I was like, listen, I'm five foot nine, 140 pounds. Like that's going to be my niche. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, and I figured it out. If there's a, if there's information given to me as a young player, I would say similar to the one, maybe the one you're talking about. And you think that that's something that could help him scale. 
minus the other stuff. Sure. Like, and if he buys into it and he's going to go down that road and like really commit to it, sure, by all means. Like, if that's going to make you the most committed aspect of yourself, then great. I would say to, to all of that, you still need to be like supremely functional. You got to make sure you're getting people out and dominating people at the same time and, and using everything that you have. Um, I would say, I would say we're in agreement there. I think. <laughs> well, yeah, he was, yeah. Uh, no, like I said, this, this has been more than fascinating because again, if you read some of your Twitter stuff, right. And just don't, it don't talk to you. You can, you can come away with the misconception. We all can come up with the misconception, you know, uh, what one person believes or doesn't believe. Right. And I, I think the large misconception that I, I, again, I don't know, you know, we've met today, but I never came away with your Twitter feed going, that guy doesn't think Nemo has any, any value, right? It always came up with the idea of, but what about the rest of us, right? What about the kid that wants to dominate his high school or the kid that wants us? How can we help that kid? Because I think you made a valuable point. We can get too hung up in the idea that there's only one level of baseball that's acceptable, and that's the show. Well, that's less than 1% of all baseball players. So how you know if I if I'm only going to focus on a skill that only scales to one percent of all baseball players, what about the ninety nine percent? What about the rest of us? Where do we go? What do we do? Now, I'm starting to see that more of you, which in this conversation, which I respect, which you say, listen, if you're a kid in Maryland and you just want to get off the JV, I'm here to help you get off the JV, right? Uh, and if we can go beyond that, we can go beyond that. So. No, I don't think we're too. I don't think we're far, far apart on anything. We're we're here. We we may be. Uh, like I said, well, there's some stuff me and Robert are looking at on the command side uh, of pitching that's not on the velo side because I think I'm with everybody else. I think that frontier's been crossed. Right, the book's been written. Several books have been written, and <laughs> you know we know how to get to 90. We know how to get to 90 miles an hour now and and beyond. The next great frontier is okay. Now you now you've got there. What are you going to do with it? Right. And so, you know, I, I think that question needs to be asked more often. And the misconception, again, is Dustin doesn't care about Velo. No, I, I talked to you here. You understand what it plays. You understand what the value it has in it. But everybody I mean, else. I think, I think at the end of the day, you want to get as much as you can. And, that, and that's what anybody would want from, from them. But, you know, from just from my experience, you know, when I was 140 pounds, like, Throwing 85 miles an hour seemed like <laughs> like Mount Everest to me, being able to throw that hard, you know. And I would have never guessed I could have thrown like that hard just through my process alone to get there. Um, and I think I don't think anybody truly knows where they're going to get to. And yeah, I mean, here in Maryland, I'm still I'm educating guys every day. Like, listen, if this is the level you want, this is where you're trying to go. This is what you need to do. I'm not sitting here saying, yeah, man, let's do 78, be a big leader. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Like I'm, I'm not, that's not who I am at all, but I'm also being brutally honest with the dudes that are throwing that come in. We college got 90, 93 that just can't make an indie ball team. Like <laughs> there's, there's problems that you, you need to improve on um, that, that can help you get out of where you are or potentially if high school kids get drafted. Um, I think just that level of honesty is big and, and just trying not to, to dream it up too much for some of these young guys and, and just hope hopefully they can just build that level of commitment to whatever it is they want, whatever level they want to be really good at or whatever level they want to get to. Um, but yeah, I think we, I mean, I definitely think we're vibing in that sense. Yeah. You got anything else? Uh, no, that's, that's, I think we've covered everything. Well, Dustin, thank you. 
Thank you for Rob coming on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank, no, thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking to uh, uh, a couple guys from Amarillo, Texas that, you know, find your stuff on Twitter to be uh, interesting, say the least, especially I keep a low profile so I don't have to take any slings and arrows. <laughs> so there's somebody out there to, to take the slings and arrows that you do. So that's, uh, that's you know, the one reason I want to have you on is, again, now we've got the long form, or I guess where somebody says, you don't care about V-Logo. Man, I just talked to two guys for an hour. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about V-Logo. Listen before you, you come at me. So I, I appreciate you coming on. I thank you very much. Hey, thank you for having me on, too. And uh, it's been been a pleasure. My, my, my pleasure. All right. Thanks, Dustin. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. See you. See you guys.